identity in Christ, uh, which is what we believe the Lord has, has put on our hearts to present uh, for the next number of weeks. And how many of you guys realize that is an extremely important topic? If we don't get who we are in Christ, if we don't get that one thing, that we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're going to be, we're never going to obtain what he's made available for us. Never going to obtain. We're always going to be trying to strive to get. We're going to be trying to strive to please God, to make him happy, to make him like us. But we need to realize who he is and who he's made us. When we're born again, he's done some incredible things. And there's a message that Greg preached two weeks ago. Again, back in the day when we used to have church, he preached an incredible message on righteousness. Anybody remember that? An incredible message on righteousness. And I believe that is the key and the, the pivotal message in this whole series. And so if you don't get that message, let me rephrase, let me change that. If you get that message, you're going to move leap years ahead in your relationship with God. Realizing who he's made you to be. That he has given us and imputed to us, gifted us his righteousness. Amen? I know that's all, you know, because that word righteousness is kind of a big word, for me anyway, and so it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around that, but it's something we have to allow our souls to wrap around. And I've asked something, we, we're, doing, we're going to do something unique today. I don't know if we've ever done this before, but I've asked Greg to bring that message again. I've asked him to bring that same message. Now, I believe Holy Spirit's going to you know, change it up a little bit. But basically, the core message of righteousness, we ask him to bring it again. I believe that's what the Father wanted because it's like he's saying, sons and daughters, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. And so I'm going to ask everyone to stand up right now and go home. Just kidding. No, just stand up. I'm serious about standing up. <laughs> Some of y'all got too happy. But here's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's, let's position ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to really impart that message to us. Okay? Let's let not, our, not let our souls or anything distract us from what Holy Spirit is wanting to bless with us. So I just encourage you to put yourselves in a posture to receive. And we're going to pray right now. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here right now. And we invite you just to rest upon your people right now like a blanket. Just come upon us and impart the revelation of your message to us today. Help us to get this like we've never gotten it before. And I just pray, Lord, that you would create in us a a hunger and a thirst and a passion for this word today. That Greg will not be able to give it fast enough. That we will hunger, thirst, and open our hearts to receive and to suck everything out that we can. Because God, you are so incredible. You are so awesome. And amazingly enough, you say the same thing about us. And I pray that we'd begin to see that. But we know it's about you. It is about your kingdom. And that's why we are so excited about participating and grabbing a hold of everything that you've made available for us so we can honor you by bringing your kingdom forth, by advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, by loving people in crazy ways, just like Jesus did and still is doing. So we open our hearts to receive from you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, Greg. Chris, are are you hot and spicy, man? Would Leah say you're hot and spicy, man? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like confidence, right? Well, praise the Lord, we called an audible this week. How many of y'all are football fans? Y'all watching football? (laughs) Come on now, football's not of the devil. Yes, I agree with that. 
Anyway, the Bible says to be instant in season and out. Well, I thought I was going out of season for a little bit. So praise the Lord. We're, uh, we're just ready to do all things and bear all things on behalf of the, our living God. And we're just grateful for an opportunity to deliver what I think, honestly, is it's the absolute foundation of the victorious Christian life. If you don't get this concept, like Pastor CJ said, in fact, I'm going to prove it through the Scripture, you will not mature in the things of God. That's all there is to it. This, you understanding who you are in Christ, understanding your identity, and conform, being conformed to that, not allowing yourself to be conformed to every other potential that the world or your flesh or your reasoning might offer you as an identity alternative, but being conformed to your identity in him. Amen? That's what this subject is all about, and that's what righteousness is. It's our identity. It's our true identity. It's what we were destined for. It's what Jesus gave his very life and shed his blood for, was to renew our identity into its original state. That's right. We were once in right standing with God. When I say we, I'm talking about man, gender neutral, all-inclusive. We were once, and then we screwed it up. But thank God for one whose love goes beyond the circumstance. Thank God for one whose love saw the end before the beginning. Oh, come on now. Is anybody this morning in a position that you understand a little bit more about identity? Does anybody understand that? Is anybody, I mean, does it stir you up? Does it buoy up your faith? Yes, it does. It should. Hallelujah. So let's just repeat our confession that we do. So everyone repeat this after me. Say, I'm spirit first. Created in the image of my heavenly father. I'm spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. See, spirit consciousness is so essential to understanding your identity because guess what? The identity is of the spirit. The identity is a spiritual reality. Just as much as you can see me in the natural in this three dimension and hear my voice, this three dimension world that we live in, the spirit realm is a dimension that supersedes and exists outside the dimension of our reality here. And it can actually be proven mathematically for those of you eggheads in the room that have to have a little bit of seeing before you believe. There are guys with a lot bigger heads than me that can speak language and turn numbers and calculate things based on formulas that are absolute fact. Can absolutely be proven. Am I right, Han? Han's a math guy. He's one of these guys. My Lord, to go to school and major in math. <laughs> Han's a big guy, man. I love doing that, Han. You know why, Han? Because you're a special guy. That's exactly why, brother. Hallelujah. Man, I, sometimes I'm a little bit jealous. I wish I had that mathematically inclined mind like that, but, you know, it's just not that way. <laughs> I'm glad there are people that love math. You know why? Because people like that are able to prove in this dimension the dimension that, does, that you can't see. And, you know, you can take things like the theory of relativity and you can take things like that and be able to show mathematically the absolute possibility for dimensions outside of what we know here. 100% guaranteed lock. People have come to Christ because of math, brother. They've come to Christ because of math. They absolutely have. And if you don't believe me, there's a guy, his name's Hugh Ross, Dr. Hugh Ross. Go on the internet, search him up, Hugh Ross, reasons to believe. The dude came to the understanding and saving nature of God, salvation of God, because of a lot of what this I'm talking about there. He saw it. But you have to come to a place that you understand that the reality is in the spirit realm. 
You don't see it here, but it is there. And it's just as real as you looking at me right now. But the thing is, is that you have to access that realm. And how do you access that? It's a little word that starts with the letter F. It's called faith. You want to know why important or how important the faith message is? It's as important as you being able to access the realities of the spirit realm. That's the absolute truth of it. And that's why Jesus preached it and preached it and preached it and preached it. It was constant affirmation that whenever things manifest that were realities in the spirit realm into this dimension, what did he always say? Your faith made you whole. Your faith, be it unto you according to your... Why? Because they they were able to come to a place they finally passed the understanding past the reason faculty and realize that there's a dimension beyond this and that they had to reach in here and access the realities there to manifest them in this dimension. That's what faith does. So if you'll hook up with me this morning, we can manifest the reality of righteousness right now in your understanding. If you don't have this, praise the Lord. Has anyone been looking in the mirror I'm not talking about the natural mirror. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the mirror of what? The word of God, James 1, 21 through 25. Folks, that's our mirror. We're learning about our identity. And to know your identity, you have to see an image of it. And the way you see the image of the reality in the spirit is to look into the mirror. And the mirror, according to James One, chapter 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word, not doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. This whole scripture right here, 21 through 25, is talking about the word of God. Hearing the word, doing the word, and he puts an analogy of that to a person that would look in the mirror and behold an image. So the word of God is a mirror, And so if you're going to look to understand your identity, you have to look into the mirror to see the true image. That's where the true image is at. So I want to start just a little bit differently than I did last time. And I invite you to go back and listen to the podcast or the MP3 or whatever's all available there for you to access two weeks ago because the anointing is always different. And so the Holy Spirit is the teacher. I'm not the teacher. The Holy Ghost is the teacher. Jesus said that one will come after me that will lead you, lead you, lead you into truth and knowledge. So it's not enough to just see the truth, but to come into an understanding of it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Hallelujah. He brings us into an understanding of it. So go back and listen to that because there was a very powerful anointing on that. I went back and listened to it. I don't recall a lot of times the things that I say because I just get in the moment and the flow and you function by the unction. And the unction brings forth things and you don't even realize what comes forth sometimes until you go back and you listen to it. And then you realize, oh, dear Lord, you know, I didn't even understand some of the things that were coming out of my mouth. And I know people would look at me cross-eyed and say, now how can that be the possibility that you're in a position to teach the things of God and you don't even have a full understanding or revelation of your own? Because I will concur that you need to understand the principles that you teach. But I'll also tell you that I don't know everything, folks. And I'll also tell you that there is revelation and understanding that supersedes my current level of knowledge. And guess what? When I access the one who does know everything and yield my members unto him, he can bring things out in the moment. He can bring that thing that supersedes my understanding out in the moment if I'll let it flow. And guess what? You'll understand it while I'm understanding it. Hallelujah. Man, that is a tremendous thing to to realize, that potential. So in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, You can go over there if you want to. Kind of let your eyes look at it a little bit while I talk. But if you look at Matthew chapter 5, we begin something called the Sermon on the Mount. 
I think most people that have been around the you know, Christian circles and have listened to the word of God, you know, there have been so many things preached from this. And in fact, this, this account is a chronicling of the longest teaching that we have on record of Jesus, continuous teaching. It goes on for like two and a half chapters. I mean, it goes on for a long time. And, you know, I, you have to add to the Bible to say that, that everything was written down that was taught. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder how long they stood there, you know? I mean, we, the nice thing is, is we have a, we have that, who, you know, if the Holy Ghost through the Matthew, you know, the disciple Matthew knew was able to write down what he wrote down. Praise God for what he wrote down. Tremendous things in there. But it's the longest continuous teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. You know, there's a lot of things that are laid out there. But when you look at the common theme, folks, you realize that what is happening here is that Jesus is conveying the spiritual truth. The spiritual truth. That's what we were just talking about, the spiritual dimension that even supersedes this dimension. The spiritual reality of the ethics, the morality, the law and their real relation to kingdom life, not the understood relation through the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law up to date. He was trying to take those principles that they had lived by for so many years and had added to the law and created this huge construct of basically what what, um, ended up being a religious taskmaster for people to try to live their lives by, guess what, to approach God. To live a life that, you know, could have access to God, if you will. But the thing is, is that Jesus is taking this time to actually begin to convey the reality behind those truths that man has just seen superficially from a, from a soul level, from a soul level. And I know I've conveyed to you the scripture that talks about that these, the things of God are spiritual. His kingdom is spiritual first. His reality is spiritual first. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him. See, he's bringing the spirit to bear here about these principles that many of people knew about. Okay? That's called the Beatitudes. He starts out with the Beatitudes, but then he goes on through and just begins to lay out all kinds of stuff through chapter 5. So he begins to convey the spiritual truths of the ethics, morality, and the law and their real relation to the kingdom life, not the elements of the law that man could apply himself to in fulfillment and thus earn position with God. That's not what he's conveying there. See, they're well aware of that. He's trying to convey the reality behind all those efforts in the law to get to God. And he's saying, boys, you don't have, you have such a shallow understanding here. This is really what this is talking about. And so if you read these chapters, you're going to notice right up front that Jesus indicates that the law wasn't going to be replaced. He wasn't going to come in there and supplant it and just say, well, this was good for a while and now it's just going to go away. In fact, what did he say? I've come to fulfill it which is what man was trying to do. They were trying so desperately hard through rules and regulations and their focus totally on what they could do in the natural realm and the soulish realm to fulfill the law that they could not fulfill it. But yet Jesus and the closest one to fulfilling it were known as Pharisees and some of the scribes and the Sadducees, the people that actually lived their life by the absolute obedience to every jot and tittle of the law that they could apply themselves to. You know, and I, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Jesus indicates that he wasn't coming to say the law was of no good, no consequence. He wasn't coming to say, I'm, I'm replacing the law. He said, I'm coming to fulfill it as a man. Do something that none of you as a man or a woman have ever been able to do before. That's what he came to do. And he then reveals that the best efforts of man, their best intention, their best ability 
to try to fulfill those laws, and that would be represented by the Pharisees, their best, the best that they could do, it wasn't going to be good enough. Folks, we have to understand this because it applies to us right now as we sit here. Because it's the age-old trap and failing of the human soul, and that is to cover itself. That is to justify itself. That is to, when you reject the gift of God to give you that right position, that right standing, that position with him, to find your own way there. And Jesus takes this time, folks, if you'll go back and read this, and you'll see he's laying out all the very meat and potatoes aspects of the law that people have made such a big issue about and put all these edicts and ceremonial steps and things that must be fulfilled if you're going to say you fulfilled that. And he's telling them, boys, girls, it don't matter. It don't matter because even your very best is not going to fulfill the reality of what that law represents because it's a spiritual reality. But I've come to fulfill it in your stead. That's what Jesus is eventually going to get to. So he says it wasn't going to be good enough. And listen to what Matthew 5.20 says. If you're there in Matthew chapter 5, look at this, please. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard, so it may be just a little bit different. Listen to what it says. It says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right there is the thesis of what I just said from Jesus' perspective. He's telling them, folks, you as men have taken yourself, the pinnacle of which in application to the law would be the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and he's telling them, unless your righteousness exceeds even theirs, you won't enter the kingdom. Isn't that a, a crash a crash down on their reality. Oh my goodness, that, that shatters the glass house. Real quick. And I want you to hear that this morning. That unless your righteousness comes by something greater than what known to man at that point in time was the pinnacle of achievement in obedience to the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that Folks, that's not my words. Those are red letter in my Bible and yours. Those are my master Jesus speaking to us. You will never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness is greater than the greatest attempt by man to fulfill the law. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And notice he called it your, their righteousness. Unless your righteousness, your righteousness is greater than that. I think these are strong words, don't you? Particularly the fact that there was probably some Pharisees out in that audience. There are probably some teachers of the law out there in that audience, and they're hearing this for the first time. Don't you think that's a smackdown into the into reality real quick? That's heresy from their perspective. Because all they've known is the construct of their attempts to get to God. And it was called the law. So it's impossible, right? What Jesus said is impossible. Unless you have a righteousness that, that exceeds that of Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's an impossibility, right? Well, I submit to you in a word, yes. It is an po- impossibility in the flesh. It is an impossibility in the soul. But Jesus is not going to leave us hanging on the cliff here, folks. In chapter 6 then, so if you move there and begin to let your eyes flow down through some of the verses there, you'll begin to see that Jesus starts drilling down through now to the most core actions of things like prayer, like fasting, like giving. These are some of the most rudimentary and core aspects of what man would try to do in a pious application to the things of God. You know, in other words, applying his life from a religious perspective, giving unto the poor is a high calling, right? It is. Is that not an action that would, would testify to your desire to meet something of God standard in your life? Giving to the poor, yeah. What about praying? Oh yeah, prayer, absolutely. 
And he talks about prayer. And in fact, he, get, he delivers the model prayer here in chapter 6. So many of us can quote, and we have been able to since we were little kids because of our Bible school and our Sunday school teachers. We know that prayer. He teaches us how to pray. See, notice he delivers the principle, then he delivers the spiritual aspect and reality of it. So we can understand really the fullness of what it's for. It's not to give us a religious step towards God. It's to tell you, it's to tell him and and everyone else back then and us today, the reality of what those things represent in a spiritual delivery of power in your life. Hallelujah. So he starts drilling down through these actions that man thought rendered righteousness. They thought it rendered righteousness. They did those things. And this this. Uh, built, if you will, and founded the righteousness that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5.20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. These things right here were what the Pharisees did every single day. They prayed, they gave, they fasted. So Jesus is going down through this. And so what he ends up doing is, is establishing that the righteousness that relates to God's kingdom is something that is outside of their abilities. Folks, I'm laying a case out here in a little bit different manner than I did last time. I'm laying the case out, if you will, that proves that there is nothing that they could do back then when they were even more close to the law than what we know today, folks. And no matter how much they, they applied themselves to the law, which God had handed down to them, and then they added a whole bunch of stuff to it. But then they applied themselves, and they would get to the place that it was, well, look at my level of application to fulfill everything, every jot and tittle in the law. Well, look at mine. We even see Paul... One of the greatest revelators that we know are on the written page in terms of delivering understanding about the principles of God. And we have over half the New Testament because of his letters, folks. And he's delivering this revelation and he comes to the place that he says, in application to the law, I am a Pharisee. What does he mean when he says that? He says that he, he has met the requirements of the Pharisee application. He never failed any of it. But do you know what Paul turns around and says right after that? I count it all dung. For the sake of what? For the sake of knowing him. For the sake of knowing him. I want to submit that to you this morning. We're talking about our identity. We're talking about the image that we need to see in our lives, folks. And it's the image that Paul saw. Regardless of the level of revelation that he achieved, he, 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 he didn't even count that as something that allowed him access to God because he knew the foundation of that preceded all that revelation. He knew it preceded it. And he knew that it was all one thing. In fact, it was all boiled down to one one person. And it was his Savior, Jesus Christ. It was only through the work that Jesus accomplished and then turned around and offered as a gift that he had what he had. And I'm talking, this is a guy that, folks, how many of y'all have read the New Testament? Paul epistles, the letters. My goodness. And here he is. I count it all but dung. All of it. Anyone know what dung is? I'm a country boy from Noble County. I know what dung is. Because that's an agricultural term. Kind of an old school term. We've got some other words for it that ring better, clearer. How about poop? And you know, Paul is saying, I count every lick of my ability to have fulfilled all those things of the law as a big pile of stinking waste. That is a tremendous statement, folks. That is a tremendous statement for a man 
like him to say what he said because he was a Pharisee, at least in terms of application to the law. That's what the scripture says. And so then we move on down and we get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and we see that Jesus talks about the very essence of our need and what oftentimes becomes the goal of our life more than anything. And we immediately default back to the focus of these things in our life, that is achieving our needs met in the way of what we need to eat for food and for shelter and for clothing. In other words, the materiality of our existence, it becomes oftentimes, if you're not putting the eyes on the prize in the spirit, it becomes the focus, it becomes the thing that drives what you do. The materiality of your existence. And Jesus has laid some of that stuff out. And he comes down here in verse 33 and he says, But I tell you, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first. And then I want you to notice there's something here. It's called a conjunction. It's a word and. Which means that what he's about to deliver after the word kingdom brings something of equal meaning and value and something of equality to seeking first the kingdom. Well, there's something else now that he says you have to seek and his righteousness and all the materiality of your existence will be added to you. So the eye, the prize that our eyes needs to be on and needs to fall on and needs to continually be aligned to folks is the kingdom and his righteousness. That's Jesus' words, folks. And then the materiality of our existence is provided for us. So we're told to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But the thing is, is that we often miss the last part of that. And in fact, you see a lot of people quote that scripture and it's just seek first the kingdom of God. And they stop right there. They stop right there. And so you get so focused a lot of times, and it's real quick to look at the benefits of the kingdom and say, oh, I want that. I want healing. I want my needs met. I want to walk in a place of authority and so forth. All the aspects of the kingdom that you could sit here and we could insert blank and fill in in terms of the knowledge that you have. And then we could go through scripture and show a lot of the aspects. Tremendous revelations to be had there, folks. But the thing is, we miss an equal and opposite thing. And in fact, it's the way or the access to those things of the kingdom. And it's your position. It's your position. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yes, that you're a subject to the kingdom of God and all of its benefits. But then you've got to understand what gives you the potential to be a subject of the kingdom of God and receive those benefits. And it's the position that you have in him, and that's righteousness, the position that you have in him. So here's something I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me this morning, and it's one of those little things that if you're reading a book, and a lot of times you'll see him bring something out in a square, and it emphasizes a point on the whole, of all the words on the page, if it, you know what I'm talking about, little little inset, and it might even have something like, you know, point of interest, Focus, point of focus or something like that. And you'll see, let me give you a point of focus the Holy Spirit gave me this morning, all right? Here it is. Many miss the last part. We are quick to accept the kingdom of God, but not the basis or reason for access to it. We are quick to accept the kingdom of God. So here's your bullet point. Here's the, here's the little... Uh, withdraw or with, uh, call it call out call out box from all the text that we've just gone down through here's a call out box we're quick to accept the kingdom of god yes we're to seek it first like jesus said but the thing is you got to not un- you got to not miss how you have access to it and you have access to it because guess what the righteousness or position that god gives you to have access to that kingdom so you have to seek them both together folks You have to seek them both together. See, I think we're talking about some new things here, aren't we? A little bit different light than last time. So we're quick to accept the kingdom of God, but not the basis or reason for access to it. And the thing is, you you have to accept and, and seek them both at the same time. 
And the reason for it is, is because we want to establish that in our lives a lot of times. The reason why we don't seek righteousness is because, oh, yeah, we're all about the kingdom. We're all about the benefits of the kingdom. We're all about the things of the kingdom. But guess what? We want to establish them in our lives. Do you all hear that this morning? And that is missing the second and equal part of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. It doesn't say seek first the kingdom, how and when you understand and desire to do it. It says to seek first the kingdom and your position to get access to it. If I want to put it in the Greg version, that's what I would say. If I made a version of the Bible there. So let's look at Genesis 3. Everybody turn over there, please. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is where we would read here. And uh, we see chronicled here in the verses 1 through 7, the story of the serpent or Satan. In, in, in his work to tempt man into an eventual fall. And so we see that laid out in the first several verses here, and he's telling, him, telling the woman to get her eyes on the fruit. She's, he's getting the woman into a place of reason. Come on now, folks. What is, the, what is the voice of reason? What is that the voice of? The soul. That's right. I heard someone say it. Thank you, Miss Paula. You've heard my teachings before. You took them to heart because that's right. Reason is the voice of the soul. Anytime you're in a place that you're trying to reason through things, that's the soul's efforts, folks. And you need to recognize that. And I'm not telling you it's wrong to reason now. Don't get me wrong. God gave you a reason faculty for a reason. He did. He gave you reasoning for for a purpose. Folks, he, he, you know... Well, we don't need, to, we don't even have to go there. You all know what I'm talking about. But at the same time, you need to understand that reasoning is not going to access the spirit. Why? Because the reason's all about what you can taste. Reason's all about all the five senses, what you can see, what you can hear, what you can touch, what you can smell. Those are the access points to reasoning, to feed understanding and knowledge for reasoning. And if that's all the limitation of your reasoning, if that's what limits your reasoning, then that's going to limit you to not being able to access the Spirit. Because guess what? You can't taste the Spirit. You can't hear the Spirit. You can't see the Spirit with these eyes, with this tongue, with these ears. Does everyone under, agree with that? The Spirit realm, right? Because it's a different dimension. It's a different dimension. You have to access it. There is an access to it. But you have to understand it doesn't come by way of your understanding. You need to give up your right to understand. You need to cede your right to understand when it comes to the things of God. You don't have a right to understand. You just have a right to believe. That's what Jesus said. To them that understand. No, what does it say? To them that believe. To them that believe. All things are possible to them that can reason through their mind and come to a place that they understand things and see how it works. All things are possible to them that that believe. So here we are in Genesis chapter 3. Folks, I'm, I'm delivering some very important points here. And so we go through this, this story. And I want you to see in verse, uh, let's just stop there in verse 6, or let's start there in verse 6. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She saw, see, she saw. That's the natural faculty. That the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So what did they do when they came to a place of understanding? 
When they came to a manifestation of application of reason, what, did, what was their first action? Huh? Cornell says to cover themselves. Is that what the scripture says? Yes, that's what it says, because it says, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And folks, what I have to tell you is that that is the absolute manifestation of of the soul and the flesh's pursuit in your life toward righteousness, toward earning your position, toward trying to gain access to the things of God. Because what will happen is, is it will become more a game and more a result of your ability to try to cover where you're failing, to try to cover those things that are ugly, those things that are uncomely, like the Scripture says. It's your ability to try to to present a facade. The soul will do that every single time, folks. We'll always try to reason. So if you rely on the soul and the flesh in your pursuit of the things of God, what will happen is, is as you fail, you're going to seek to cover or justify yourself. Well, I don't know about anybody. I mean, has anyone done this but me? You don't believe me? You can see this in a child three years old. What's the first thing they do when they, when they get caught doing something they're not supposed to do? I mean, it's a rarity. She said to lie. What does lies do? It's covering. Cover you up. There's other ways to cover. I mean, lying is the first thing a lot of times the kids do. No, no. I didn't get a cookie. I've seen, how many of y'all seen the funny so videos? They got chocolate all over their face. It's like, did you get in that cake? Mm-mm. And then they go on and on about it, and it's a precious thing, you know, but at the same time, you know, someone needs to mount up a little resistance there on the backside to that kind of behavior because it's not right. And that ain't an old school thing. That's the Bible, folks. Well, that's exactly what happens with the soul, folks. You know what? The what'd you do in trying to do this? You mean that's what you did so and so and so? That doesn't go away, folks. With the soul, I don't care how old you get. If you're going to rely only on the strength of your ability to do the things that you're supposed to do, you're going to have a lot of moments with God, with all that chocolate all over your face as He's standing there looking at you. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Here's the deal. If you rely on the soul and flesh, you'll always seek to cover or justify yourself. The tendency of this mindset also, let's look in verse 8, is to estrange you from God. That's what this is doing. Look in verse 8, what happens then? So they sewed the fig leaves, made a covering loincloth. And then, so you know really what it represents is it represents man's attempt at righteousness. Man's attempt at having a position before God. See? And it's foolishness. It's foolishness because it doesn't give you an attempt. And in fact, this is what it ends up doing. If you look there in verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And here comes God as he had done so many times before, folks. Nothing's changed here except this issue. And here comes God, man, walking to go and and communicate with the most precious creation of his hand. The object of his affection. The apple and focus of his love, folks. And he comes down there to relate with them, and they're nowhere to be found. And in fact, God has to ask for him, Adam, Eve, where are you all at? The place where he had met them so many times before, the place where they had communed, where they had hugged, where they had loved, where they had had relationship, folks. And yet, here man is nowhere to be found. Folks, let me ask you this morning. Could you look at your life in in the way that you try to live it before God outside of the biblical position that you have through righteousness and, and maybe say that you find yourself here? 
Do you find yourself in a place of shame when God comes near? Do you find yourself wanting to run whenever God approaches? There's a reason for it, folks. It's completely natural. And we're seeing it chronicled here, and there is nothing ever changed here in terms of the soulish perspective. And so God comes here, just breaks your heart. Where are you, God says. And then we see the the man answer. And what did he say? I heard you in the garden, and I was what? Do you sit here this morning in a position afraid of God? Folks, the fear of the Lord and being afraid are two different things. I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about afraid of the Lord. Because of what? Because of shame. Because of an inability to do the things that you feel like you're supposed to do in his life, in in his uh, uh, image. The things that you know better to do that you can't keep, you can't accomplish and you keep failing in. And it comes to a place that rather than coming to 1 John 1, 9 and and then also accepting the gift and coming back to the, the reality of who your position is in Christ, which is outside of your own strength, that what you do is, is you withdraw from God. There's no difference here, folks. The same thing happens today. And you're covering yourself in front of God. And a lot of times, guess what? In front of each other. That's really what the covering is more for than anything is to cover in front of people. Your shame. Praise you, Lord God. And so the last time we talked about our case for true identity, and I'm not going to cover those areas. I want you to go back and listen to that. So let me go into what biblical righteousness is, and we're going to hit a few points and be done. And you're going to have to go back and listen to this from the previous time in order to get some of the meat and things that were delivered last time. But I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead us, okay? I'm not going to try to cover every single point that we did last time. I'm going to cover the meat. And I think I've already covered a lot right here. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think at this point in time, I think we can see that it doesn't matter, folks, what we can leverage in the face of God or, or, or before each other. It's all, it's all going to fall short. And you're going to end up in the same pattern of behavior that we see right here from the very beginning. It's going to be everything you can do to cover and justify yourself before your, your fellow man, before your fellow per, uh, person, before the pastor, before other people that are in your life, your parents. It's what you can do to cover yourself. It's what you can do. And then you're going to find yourself constantly in a place of guilt and condemnation and being beat down from a soulless perspective and literally in a place that you're afraid of God. Just like Adam and Eve, no different, no different. So what is righteousness? If we look at the Bible and we take everything that it talks about from a perspective of God righteousness, in other words, if we look at that thing that Jesus said over there in Matthew chapter 5, what is it that is above the righteousness of the Pharisees? What is it that's above the righteousness of the Pharisees? What it is, is the position you have with God. Righteousness, in a word, is really the position that you have with God and in Him. It's where man was before, originally, before he fell. It's right standing with Him. It's position with Him. And really, when you look at the original language, and I love the way it says this, when you see the word righteousness, really the best way to describe that from the original language is equality. Equality. You're in a place of equality with something this morning when you talk about biblical righteousness. And I know a lot of people look at you cross-eyed when I, or look at me cross-eyed when I say that. Because you, you're, you're treading on very, very sacred ground to say things like this. But folks, the ground I'm treading on is the very word of God. It ain't my word. It's the very word of Jesus. When he stood there in, in, in a position and he prayed unto the Father and he said, Father, tell them, reveal to them, bring an understanding to them that you have loved them as you have loved me. That's equality. That's equality. 
Y'all see that in terms of value? We are equal in value to the precious life of Jesus because his blood was shed for us. Pretty quiet this morning, folks. I don't know if we got people who agree with me or not. And I don't care whether you agree with me because it's the word of God. You're disagreeing with the word of God if you don't accept that. I mean, this is plain and simple. But here's the deal. You know, the righteousness, this position that we're talking about is not one that you have anything to do with. The onus or the burden for you to prove that that out in your life is not yours. The, The value of your position in God has nothing to do with your ability to produce it. It has everything to do with one person and his name is Jesus. It has everything to do with what he accomplished in coming down here and beating the enemies of God on their own territory in the flesh. Hallelujah. Tempted in every way, but was without sin. He beat the enemies of God. I mean, it was, it wasn't just a, I mean, it wasn't just a, a, a victory. It was a, a good old fashioned country smackdown. A beat down on the home field is what the scripture says in terms of what Jesus accomplished. And what was it principally that he accomplished? He accomplished the position before Almighty God. He accomplished, and guess what? It wasn't, was it position for Jesus? No, because he already had position, folks. My goodness, he's not earning the thing he already had. He came down here to earn something and whip the enemies of God in their own territory to earn it for you, to earn it for me. Hallelujah. And that's exactly what he did. He earned our position. Seek first the kingdom and the position that you have to access it. And all these things will be added to you. That's the Greg version of that scripture. Hallelujah. And I tell you, I I delivered, I think, a model of this scripture. It's in the prodigal son. And I don't want to go there because I don't have a lot of time. But I want you to go and read that account again and spend some time looking at the prodigal son. Sometimes I think we're probably going to preach a message on the prodigal son. There's so much there. But if you look at Luke chapter 15, 11 through 24, you don't have to go there right now, but just write that down. Luke 15, 11 through 24, you see the model of what I'm talking about here. And this is Jesus delivering this model. And really what it does is, I mean, the thesis of this whole story is the absolute, unbridled, reckless love of the Father. And I mean that with every sense of the term. Because from our perspective, when you look at what that young man did, it's reckless. It's reckless for the Father to be in a place like that in relationship to him. Amen? He could squander everything the Father has if he gave him more. He might mess it up again if he gave him more. But you don't see the father's attitude in that story that has any sense of that. In fact, the father's attitude is one, not even of forgiveness. First, his attitude is one of love. He runs to the son when he comes back. And it says that he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. He doesn't go to him and go, oh, son, I forgive you for all the things you did and you did this and you squandered all these millions of dollars and you went out here and you lived with prostitutes and you're eating pods from the, that the pigs are being fed. Oh, I forgive you for that, son. I forgive you for the, you don't see the father going out to the son in a relationship like that. He goes running. And in fact, he says, when the father sees him a long way off, I'm telling you right now, folks, there's only one thing you have to do, and that's do this right here. If you're going the wrong way, turn, and the Father runs to you. I'm telling you this morning by the unction of the Spirit of God, if you find yourself in a place that you are out of sorts with God, there's only one thing you've got to do. Only one. And that is turn the direction and walk toward the Father. Because He is not in a position that He's counting your sins against you. 
He's not in a position that he is discrediting your attempts based on your weaknesses. He's in a position that he is going to credit unto you what has already been received if you'll just appropriate it. And that is the gift of position that's been given to you through Christ. Hallelujah. And the father's standing there on the porch and he sees you a mile and a half away when you make that turn. And he takes off that porch and leaves a dust cloud to get to you. I'm telling you, folks, it charges me up to perceive the Father in that way. And it's not, it's not just my interpretation, folks. I can read it literally from the scriptures. It says a long way off. It says he sees the Son a long way off. And he turns and he runs to him. And I got to tell you, we're talking about our identity and righteousness. And the whole thesis of that story can be summed up. In what it is, and that is to restore the son to his position with him. I'm telling you, I feel fire in my bones. The father desperately wants to restore your identity. He is in a place, folks, this morning, not of condemnation. He is in a place, folks, not of judgment. His mercies, according to the scripture, triumph over judgment. And in fact, it says he delights in mercy. He doesn't delight in metering out punishment for doing wrong. That is the wrong perspective of my father. That is wrong, folks. He is sitting on that porch, folks, waiting for you to turn to him. He's waiting for us to want to be re-identified in him. And if you want to talk about what righteousness is, that's it. Let's just sum that up right there. That's biblical righteousness. It's our identity in him, folks. And it has nothing to do with your ability more than an about face and turning to him and then receiving his love and having your position restored unto you if you're in a place away from him this morning. And if you're not, praise the Lord, man, hallelujah. You haven't thrown your robe down. Because we see in that story that the father brings one thing out first after he kisses him and loves him. And tells him, even though the son's position is one of, Father, forgive me because I've screwed up. And he starts iterating all the sins and the things that he's done. This is the Greg version, but this is how I see that story when I read it. And the father didn't sit there and go, oh, son, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, no, no. He turns to the, to the servants and he says, hey, boys, go get the best robe we got in the house and bring it out to my son. Help his Holy Ghost. And so robe, though, and I'm going to end on this, but the robe, folks, represents position. It represents position. And that's the first thing he gives to him after he wets him down with his sloppy kisses. I say that unabashedly. My father is one who loves recklessly. My father is one who would seek to deliver mercy when everyone else would deliver judgment. My father is one who already had a plan of escape before you were trapped, folks. And everything I say, you, 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 I'm talking about me too. He sees the end from the beginning. And he sits there. In a place longing for you to return to him if you're in that place aside, away from him. If you're in a, in a journey, folks, trying to establish your position in him, stop it. Stop it. And just accept and walk in the things that you have already been given through Jesus Christ if you're a believer. And this morning, if you don't know a word of the things I'm talking about, and you don't have an identity in Christ because you don't even know who Jesus is and what he did for you, it's a very simple thing, folks. It's that that message that is drawing your heart yet even now, asking that you would, would you, with the father sitting on the porch and he's asking, would you please be restored unto me? That's what the scripture says. Be reconciled unto God. 
be reconciled unto him. That means to be made uh, uh, close to him again, to be drawn in relationship. And he said that message is, it's, it, it's now. Now's the time for that reconciliation. It's not tomorrow. It's not 10 years from now. It's right now, folks, is the time for that reconciliation. And if you are saved and you need to be reconciled, it's right now, folks. It's not tomorrow. It's not when you get home tonight by yourself. It's right now. Hallelujah. And I would say every single person sitting in this room has some area of their lives that needs reconciliation. And I've got to tell you, if you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and you, you look at that and it talks about all of us to each of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Well, that's a huge $5 term, reconciliation, reconciliation. That's a huge term, many syllables in that. You know, it's a $5 word. Well, let's just get rid of that word and let's just call it this, folks, that the Father's not counting your sins against you. That's what it is. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. If you go over and read that scripture, it says, and the message is this, folks, that the Father's not counting your sins against you. In other words, it's the same message of the father who was on the porch that saw his son a long way off and took off running and got up to him and, and began kissing and loving and telling his son how much he loved him and is telling him that, He wasn't counting his sins against him, though the son sat there and began iterating, I'm sorry, Father, for all the things I've done. But yet the father's attitude was not one of trying to go check, 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 check. In terms of the sins, you see what I'm saying? I'm not preaching a different gospel, folks. You you need to ask forgiveness. I'm not telling you to not seek the forgiveness of the Father. I'm here to tell you that the forgiveness is already there for you if you will apply it to yourself. That's what I'm telling you. It's there. He's already purposed in his heart to forgive. All you have to do is be reconciled to to that. That's what righteousness is. Has nothing to do with your ability to earn it. Has nothing to do with how hard you pray. Has nothing to do with the tithes you give. It has nothing to do with what you might give to the poor or how many hours you apply yourself in service to the church or service to each other. It has everything to do with only one thing, folks. And that is the receipt of a gift that comes when you receive salvation. Righteousness is a gift to all those that would believe. Those that have received an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness do rule and reign by one Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures in Romans. Hallelujah. Do rule and reign. Isn't it interesting? Do rule and reign. Those are terms of kingdom authority. And what is it? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Well, it's by that position that you are able to rule in the kingdom. Well, that's a deep concept. That's a deep concept that I don't even think I have a full understanding of. But it's by that position. Hallelujah. So would you stand with me this morning? So I just want to issue this morning an invitation. I don't, it doesn't matter how slight the area. If you find yourself in a position this morning that this message rings true in your, in your person, and you, you're saying to, that you can say this morning, Oh God, I need to turn to you and be reconciled in this area. I'm not saying you're a coarse sinner. I'm not saying that you've screwed up big time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where you look at that, you take a reality check of where you are and you are in a position that's not reconciled to the Father. That's not walking in your right for righteousness. Not walking in the position of access and appropriation of the kingdom things of God. Then I would invite you to come up here with me this morning. Because I'm standing up here and be the first one. I'll be the first one this morning to say, God, I want to be reconciled fully unto you. Fully unto you, Father. I want to go and receive your hug and receive your kisses this morning, oh God. I need to be buoyed up again. I need to be refreshed in my my relationship to you. This is righteousness, folks. This is righteousness, folks. This is the image and the reality of our position in God. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Father. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
Father, we are here and we see you running to us. We receive your embrace, oh, Father, this morning. (laughs) We receive your kisses, oh, God. We thank you that we are restored to position in you, oh God, because of Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Thank you, oh God. Thank you for the love wherewith we're loved, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's simple. Hallelujah. It's not a long, drawn-out thing to return unto the Lord, is it? It's simple to turn unto Him. Hallelujah. That's what we've done this morning in all the various ways and capacities. And we're receiving the grace, hallelujah, that He has for us which is his divine enablement to do what you can't do. And first and foremost, he has enabled us to have right standing with him. And that's called righteousness. And that came not of your own strength, but of the precious gift of the living God. And we just extol the virtues of that grace, O Father, this morning as a body together. The virtues of the gift. Hallelujah. Because that's what it is. And, Father, we give you the glory and the honor for it, and we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for it, Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you for the ease wherewith, Father, we can walk in these things and not be just weighed down by the soul. In our attempts here, we release our right of the soul to try to understand and touch everything, and we just simply come and we receive of your hand, hallelujah, of this grace right now. And so I would just invite those, if you have specific needs and you want to remain here this morning or you just want to soak, you have a right to do that, praise the Lord, because the anointing is very strong. But uh, I would invite the prayer team, Pastor CJ, is that, are they available? So let's ask the prayer team members to come forward. If you're on duty this morning, please come forward. And if you have specific needs that you would like uh, specific prayer for, then let's, let's avail ourselves of that opportunity. If you want to soak in the anointing, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Do so. Do so. Be free. Hallelujah. This morning. And then for those that need to go, I'll go ahead and release you in the blessing of the Lord. Is that okay, Pastor CJ? So we just release on behalf of the pastor, uh, those that want to be released, be released in the blessing of the Lord. Go in peace. Hallelujah. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Restoration. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. So here's our prayer team right here. And I'm going to turn it over to Pastor CJ. Just want to encourage and remind you guys about covenant groups tonight and this week. So just to go and enjoy yourselves with uh, your family. God bless you.